too, want to join in saying a happy Veterans Day and thank you to all of our veterans uh, who have served our country so well. And uh, I want to say thank you to the choir and just leading us and orchestra in such a, a wonderful and reverent way to lead us into a study on prayer. That is our focus uh, over the next few weeks is this idea of prayer. Uh, last week we talked about uh, the motivation behind prayer. Um, is it whose reward are we seeking and whose name do we really glorify in the prayers that we pray and to go into our inner closet just with our Heavenly Father to pray. And I, I, I do hope that many, if not all of you, took up the challenge to at least one time this past week to go and have a time of intentional prayer. And so this week we are going to be continuing that. Again, I just want to mention the reason for this series is to instill confidence or to stir up a renewed passion for personal prayer. I'm reminded of a story that I've heard in many places. Uh, many preachers have used it, and I most recently read it again in a book by a pastor named Craig Groeschel. And he tells this story that there was a pastor and a church um, that they, they were right next door to a bar. And that bar just had a reputation that was just impacting in a negative way their community. And so the pastor got the church together and prayed that the bar would be closed down. And they had a series of meetings praying that God would shut that bar down. And then within a few weeks or months, a storm came through town and lightning hit the bar and burned it to the ground. And the bar owner, knowing that the, that the church had been praying against him, sued the church. And he came before the judge and said that this church had prayed and their prayers were answered and now my establishment is gone. And when they turned it to the pastor, he said, it is true that we prayed, but come on, we didn't really think anything was going to happen. And so the judge leans back and he says, so what I have here is a bar owner who believes in prayer and a pastor and a church who does not. Now that's one of those preacher stories. I have no idea whether that happened in real life. I would highly doubt it. But the parable is simply this. Does the church believe in prayer? Does the church, God's people, really believe that when we come together and pray that God moves? Or like in that story, do we go, I really didn't think anything would happen. The purpose of this series is to give confidence if you don't feel like I know how to pray. And if and this series is here, if you feel like you know how to pray, but you've lost a zeal for passion, for personal prayer. And so we are looking again in Matthew chapter 6 this morning, picking right up off the heels of what we looked at last week. And so I'm going to read just the first two verses of what is often referred to as the Lord's Prayer. Others, and I think maybe even more rightly, would call it the Disciples' Prayer. So in verse 9 of chapter 6, Jesus 
is teaching them. He says, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And there's more, and we'll pick that up next week. But I just wanted us to focus this week on beginning to think about the content of our prayer. Just as a reminder, in Matthew chapter 6, this is in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is giving sort of uh, multiple reasons and multiple um, evidences of those who want to put their righteousness to practice and have the right heart behind it. And he talks about giving and he talks about prayer and he talks about fasting. But then in this passage that we call the Lord's Prayer is sort of an addendum in the middle of his sermon on these three things. Now in the book of Luke, notice that Jesus is praying and the disciples notice him praying. And after he finishes praying, they come and say to him, would you teach us how to pray? Which tells us this, that Jesus often used this guide for prayer on more than one occasion to help people learn how to pray. Both in the Sermon on the Mount and in personal discipleship instruction, Jesus wanted us to know how to pray. Now what is funny or ironic is that just previous in Matthew 6 to Jesus giving what we call the Lord's Prayer, he had condemned the way that the Gentiles pray by doing vainless, meaningless repetition. And yet many of us are tempted to take the Lord's Prayer, these exact words, and turn them in themselves into vain repetition. Jesus is not saying pray these exact words only. It's okay to pray them, absolutely, but it's more of a Guide. It's more of a here is how. This is the way in which once you put your own heart language into it, here are the key elements of prayer. I hope that makes sense to you. So that you can speak from your heart. That's all we talked about last week is the motivation behind our prayer. But yet, here's a guide for our prayers. And notice that it is very succinct. Remember, he said, don't be like, the Gentiles who heap up words upon words, thinking that their long prayers will get them heard. And so in a very short and succinct way, he says, this is how you can pray. So with that in mind, Jesus gives us a guide for how to pray. And in your life on outline, let's just walk through it. Number one, he starts with, who do we pray to? That may seem like a very elemental thing, but it is really important that we know who we are praying to. I was reminded of the importance of knowing who you are communicating to earlier this week. On Monday evening, I got a text from an un, uh, like a number that was not saved in my contacts. But the message that they sent me seemed very familiar, which to be honest is not uncommon for a pastor to have happen. And the, the message said this, would you be able to come over for dinner tomorrow? I'd love to make you lobster. And so, but I don't know who it is. And I actually had plans. Uh, we had an elders meeting the next night, and so I wasn't going to be able to make it, but I'm trying to figure out who is this because 
it matters who it is. If it had been my parents, I could have easily just said, hey, I have a meeting tomorrow night. Can we do it another time? I mean, it's an easy thing. Or even if it was a church member, if they had been in my contacts, I could have explained it a little bit differently. I did not know whether this was someone in our church, someone in the community, or a stranger. But they were offering lobster. So I thought, how do I... How do I manage this? And so I eventually just came to the conclusion of I'm going to send this text back. Oh, that sounds amazing. Unfortunately, I have an elders meeting tomorrow night and won't be able to make it. No idea who I'm talking to. They responded back, huh? This is Vivian. That did not help me at all. (laughs) And then that person then responded with, aren't you Penny coming in to visit me from New York? And then I said, no. (laughs) See, it matters who we're talking to. On both ends of that equation, we were not in sync. When it comes to prayer, it matters who you're talking to. I, I just want you to hear You're not talking to a sort of just a force in the universe. universe. You're not just speaking words and hoping that your words through the power of positive thinking are going to manifest themselves in reality. Jesus says when you pray, pray in this way, our Father. Not only our Father, but our Father who is in heaven. There is something powerful about the phrase of who we pray to. Now, even in a Christian context, it is a little bit helpful. Because we believe in the Trinity, the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, here's what I would say is I believe there is evidence from Scripture that it is okay, it is allowable to pray directly to Jesus. And it is okay, even in a Baptist church, to pray to the Holy Spirit. But the standard in which Jesus says this is how you pray is you pray to the Father in heaven. See, it is the Father in heaven, Jesus our mediator, and the Spirit of God within us that bonds that message together and helps shape it even on our behalf. The book of Romans says that even when you and I who are believers in Christ don't even know how or what to pray, the Spirit of God is groaning on our behalf what we need. And so when we pray, we pray to a Father who is in heaven. Now, the insight in your outline is this. This phrase reminds us of both the intimate relationship we have with God and the reverence due to him. See, this whole phrase, our Father who is in heaven, there is an important balance. The Father aspect. It is hard for us to grasp how revolutionary this moment is when Jesus tells the disciples, you can call God Father. The word, you've probably heard this before, is is Abba, which is sort of like in English we would say Daddy. It's, It's a familiar 
term. It is a loving, it is a familial in the sense that we are then his adopted sons and daughters. And Jesus in Matthew and Luke and the disciples' prayer is giving permission to all of us to call his father our father. And I recognize in a room this big that not everyone in here has a earthly father that makes this easy for you to pray. And I don't have time to unpack that alone, but I just want you to understand our heavenly father is a good and loving father. In fact, if you have not had a good example as an earthly father, your heavenly father wants to be that example to you. And if you've had a good earthly father, it has been a foreshadowing of an even greater father presence. There is an intimacy that we can go to the creator God and call him father. But at the same time, the balance of that phrase is who is in heaven, which reminds us that though he is intimate and though he has adopted us, he is also residing in the place of ultimate authority and power. And when we come to him, though there is an intimacy, there is due reverence to him. We cannot come flippantly, though we come intimately. Because he is in heaven. The scripture tells us and reminds us his ways are higher than our ways. We need to understand that he is all powerful, all knowing, omnipresent. He stands, if this cannot break your mind this morning, outside of time. He created time and he looks at the entire scope and sequence and he deserves our Reverence, when we come to him, our Father, what a privilege it is to call him Father. And what a resource that he's allowing himself from heaven to hear our prayers. That's who we pray to. And I, I could camp there for longer, but we've got more to get to. Because then we begin into three God-centered petitions in this model prayer. Jesus says, here are three God-centered petitions to make. A, we begin with worship. If anything, I talked about last week how, you know, the, the, the research tends to indicate that the majority of Christians, we pray over things like meals, personal plans, and, and personal blessings. These first three, Jesus starts with what most of us, if we're honest, skip past in the model prayer, and we go straight to the personal petitions. And Jesus says, when you pray, pray like this, and you start with God's centered petitions. When we pray, because he's our Father and because he's in heaven, we should immediately erupt first into worship. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed is not a 
word or a phrase that we use all that often, but hallowed simply means, and it's there in your outline, to make holy. It means to make holy. When we say, when Jesus says, pray like this, hallowed be your name, essentially what he's saying is exult in his name, magnify his name, worship his name. We are saying, God, make your name known as holy. And God, we approach you recognizing your name is holy. God is holy. See, we are talking about his name. And in modern day context, name typically just means identifying who the person is. But in a biblical context, the name not only meant who they are, but it represents what they are like. So when we say, God, make your name holy, we are simply saying, God, make your character known because you are holy. Make in my own heart, change my desire to know that you are holy. It's a, isn't it interesting that Jesus has to start with making his name holy before we ever get to any other prayer because it is focusing on the fact he is holy, we are not. To be honest and to be fair, these first couple of uh, petitions are difficult because sometimes we don't have the language to pray these types of prayers. And part of that is that maybe we have not spent enough time in his word knowing his character that we may have the language to worship his character. How can we worship him if we don't know him? And so as we're talking about how do you pray, how do you, how do you pray these types of prayers, this first petition? For some, if this is a part where you go, man, I just don't even know the language, I would encourage you to just start reading through Psalms. Because the Psalms are poetic forms of extolling God's character in all sorts of situations. Just exultant praise because of who he is. And, and praise when things have brought me into the miry clay and I can't get out, but I'm still going to praise you. Praise and worship about his character even when enemies are at my door. Praise when the victories have piled up. Praise and worship about the character of the coming Messiah. Read the Psalms. I would even encourage you this week, I'm going to give you the same challenge, at least one time to pray using this instruction I would encourage you to just get your Bible, pick one psalm. I don't even care if you do the any, many, money, and just pick one. But just pick one psalm, read that psalm, and then use that about his character and pray that back to him. Hallowed be your name. Magnified, worthy. God, I call you Father and you are in heaven. And let me just worship the second thing that we must do um, in, or that Jesus gives as a model is not only to begin with worship, but B, we are to pray for kingdom requests. We are to pray for kingdom requests. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. 
thy kingdom or your kingdom come. Your kingdom. When Jesus walked the earth, he was speaking and often spoke of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. In the kingdom of God, it is this way. We love our enemies. In the kingdom of God, we pursue holiness. You've heard it said that to kill someone is a sin, but I tell you in God's kingdom to hate them in your heart is equal to murder. He says there is a coming kingdom. There's this tension in the New Testament where the kingdom of God is here and also not fully yet. And we are to pray for God's kingdom to come. Both in the what we would call the eschatological sense or the based on the end of times, Lord, would you come? It is the simple prayer, come quickly, Lord Jesus. And oh, how the older I get, the more I pray that prayer. But it is also to say, until you come in completeness, would you bring your kingdom authority now? And as we describe it, it is this. It is in connection and it is dovetailed with the the mission statement that we've talked about here at the Hill, which is awakening people from death to life in Christ. God, would your kingdom Come and people move from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of marvelous light. There is a point in our prayers where we should be praying God's kingdom bursting onto the scene in the lives of those who do not know Him. Where we pray for those that we might call lost or dead in their sin, that the kingdom of God would it come and awaken them to life in the new kingdom, into the coming kingdom. Um, I was reading a book, uh, some of you may have read this, it's an older book, I think from the 90s, uh, by Max Licato called um, The Great Great House of God. And I'm just going to read a brief quote as he talks about what it means to pray, thy kingdom come. Max says this, when you pray this, you are inviting the Messiah himself to walk into your world. Take your throne in our land, O Lord. Be present in my heart. Be present in my office. Come into my marriage. Be Lord of my family, my fears, and my doubt. There is no, this is no feeble request. It is a bold appeal for God to occupy every corner of your life. When was the last time there was a real focus by God's people in prayer? Your kingdom come. The insight, we are to pray for a realization of God's kingdom in the world today. God's kingdom is marked by holiness. God, your kingdom come. Let there be holiness in my home, in my city, in my church, in my nation, in this world. God's kingdom is just. 
God, would you allow justice to prevail in my home, in my church, in my city, in my nation, and in your world. In God's kingdom, there is life. God, would you allow life to be in my marriage, in my home, in my city, in my nation, in your world. God's kingdom is marked by genuine, unconditional love. Oh, God, would you allow that love, that agape-type love, to be in my home, in my church, in my city, in my nation, in my world. Your kingdom come. See, this is in a direct opposition to what we talked about last week, whose name is being glorified. Typically, we pray prayers, God, build my kingdom. And Jesus says, pray in this way. Your kingdom come. The third thing, not only that we begin with worship and pray for kingdom requests, but see, we wrestle with God's will and yield to his authority. We wrestle with God's will and yield to his authority. Our Father who is in heaven, oh, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Oh, this is a hard one to say and mean. Be careful what you wish for. Be careful what you pray for. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Simply put, God, you have a will and a plan in heaven. Would you execute that plan and your will on earth? God, would you make what you've designed, the blueprints that are in heaven, would you make them the blueprints that we live by on earth? Immediately when we pray this type of prayer, there is a tension. It's here in your, I called it the elephant in the room because for some this this is so top of mind when we talk about God's will. There is tension in praying for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And what I mean by that is going back to the opening illustration. I prayed, but I really didn't think it would do anything. Because, God, you have your will. No one can thwart your will, so why would I pray? That is, um, on one hand, that makes logical sense, and on another, it is too simplified a conception of God's will. And I could do a several weeks of study on God's will, and I may do that in the, in the future, but just simply put, um, John MacArthur breaks it down. There's many ways to break it down. I would say that this makes a lot of sense. That John MacArthur would say it this way. There is God's ultimate will. God's ultimate will is the arc of redemption where it starts at A and it will end in Christ coming and ruling and nothing will thwart that. Then there is within God's ultimate will, God's desired will. We see from Scripture, it is God's desire that no man perish, but all come to salvation. And God's desired will is that all men and women, all, every 
human being would come into a saving relationship with him. But he does not, by his own choice and by his own wisdom, again, his ways higher than our ways, does not force his desired will because he has allowed for human freedom and choice. Now, there's a lot that we could get tangled up in right here. But just understand, if that's God's desire, he stated that clearly, and we understand that there are many also from his will that he has said, many have even said, Lord, Lord, and I will say to them, depart from me. Meaning there is something there where he says, I have a desired will, and yet I am giving choice. But even within that choice, it does not stop his ultimate will. Then MacArthur would say there's even a third level, which is his commanded will, where he has stated clearly things in Scripture that those who follow him are supposed to do. And this is where we often find our own selves in conflict with God's will, where we know what he's asking us to do and we go in another direction. We will never thwart his ultimate will. But we can be disobedient to the commands of God. And ultimately, that's what I want, I'm driving to in this prayer is, God, your will be done. Your ultimate will. Would you, Lord, come quickly, Jesus, and reign and make everything right and renew this earth and transform all people where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess Jesus Christ as Lord. Come, Lord, and do that. But it is also saying this. God, would you make your will my will? Not my will, your will. God, will you change the desires of my heart to be in line with your will? Where I will be obedient. Where I will desire what you desire, which is that all people know and hear the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ. God, will you make my will bend to your will for my life? That is how Jesus starts the disciples' prayer. And we've not yet asked for daily bread, but we will get there next week. So I'm going to invite uh, Stacy and whoever else is going to play with him as we get ready for a time of response. I just, I just want you to hear as we unpack this. If Again, I'm, I'm wanting to help build confidence. I'm wanting to stir a renewed passion for personal prayer. But I just want to say this. You don't have to put pressure on yourself to go from zero to 60 in two seconds or in one prayer session. If you went and prayed this week, and maybe that's the first time you've done intentional prayer in a long time or maybe ever, I just want you to know that your staff was praying for you that God would meet you there. And if you go and you try to implement the guide, and it doesn't have to be long, but if you go and you pray and you say, I'm going to worship God, I'll pull out the book of Psalms, I'm going to proclaim his holiness, I'm going to pray for his kingdom to be 
you know, revealed and to be active here in the lives of people and in my church and in my nation and in my family and in my marriage and in my fears and my doubts, whatever that looks like. And God, the hardest, scariest part for me is would you bend my will that what you've designed in heaven for me to do that I will do. And that what you've desired in heaven for my church to do that we would do. If you'll just take that challenge this week, I, just last thing. When I was in college um, is really when I was first truly challenged to pray, and to pray in the way that Jesus modeled prayer. And 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 to be honest, I was thrown right into the deep end. My college pastor said, "I want you to take two guys who've just started coming, and I want you to go into a room on Wednesday night when we had our college worship time." And I want you to help lead these two guys in praying for the full hour that that service is going on. Whoa. Okay. Is there a guide? I mean, what do we? He's like, oh, you'll figure it out. And we had a rotation where we ended up doing it probably every eight weeks. We were on a rotation with different people. And the three of us would go and pray. And I remember the first time that the three of us went in there, and I'm supposed to lead these guys, we go in there to pray, and it's an hour-long service. And to be honest, he was a long-winded preacher, so an hour was never really accurate. Uh, We prayed for that as well. And (laughs) the first time that we went in, I remember praying and just feeling so earnest. I mean, we were lying on the floor and just crying out to God, and I thought, okay, we got to be pretty close. Eight minutes. (laughs) Eight minutes. And I'm like, we've prayed everything. All right, Andy, you go again. You know, I mean, it's just, but can I just tell you, by the end of a few years of doing that, just like when you exercise, the prayer muscle builds. And a year into it, we would look down and go, oh, my goodness, surely we're almost done. 40 minutes. And then towards the end, they would come and let us know the service is over. I I simply say that to say this. If praying for two minutes this week is like lifting a hundred-pound barbell, then pray for just two minutes and pray in this way and allow God through consistency to build your prayer muscle, if you will. And if you will continue to do that, Again, your reward is God himself. I'm going to pray, and then I want us to um, have just a time of response, of bringing worship back to our Father who is in heaven. And I challenge you again, at least one time this week, to pray using this guide that Jesus gave us. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Would your kingdom come? Oh, God, would your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? And by the character of the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.